The other thing that amazes me as I listen to Peter prepare us for worship and I look at the lyrics of the songs that were sung and I look at the words that were in the scripture readings and in the, the words of encouragement, I pretty much figured out that everything I was going to say has been said. So I figure we'll read the passage, pray for a few minutes, close and go get bagels early. What do you think? You good? Nah. Peter will never invite me back. <laughs> let's do this. Before we, before we read, let me, let me lead us in prayer, if you will. And then let's take a look at God's word and see with wonder and awe what he has for us. Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Come now in all your power and all your majesty, all your glory, all your might, all your wisdom, all your strength. Come now in your grace and your mercy and your tenderness and your love. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill this place you were promised to us as the great deposit by the one who saved us. Come now, and we dare to ask, don't just dwell among us, but dwell in us, in each of us, this very moment. We are opening your word to read something marvelous, a truth so wonderful, it's hard to grasp it in its entirety. Write it upon our hearts, Holy Spirit. Dear God, let only your word be spoken and only your word be heard that we might be changed forever. And all God's people said, Amen. We're continuing in a series in the Psalms and we're looking at Psalm 96. If you want to read along with me, of course, it's going to be on the screen. You guys know that better than I. And it's also in the, the Bibles in the seats. See, he knows I walk, and I'll hit that. <laughs> he didn't save you, but he saved me. Right? <laughs> Follow along. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes, he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. And this is God's word. When you read that psalm, when you look at it, it's like positively euphoric. It is absolutely one of the happiest things you'll ever see. It's almost giddy. It's so happy. It starts out 
powerful and rejoicing and singing, and it doesn't slow down. It picks up and keeps going. And it's a beautiful world that it describes. It's interesting because this is a psalm of ancient Israel, but it does not say that just Israel is supposed to rejoice. For example, in verse 3, it says, Declare his glory among all the peoples, his marvelous deeds among all the peoples. When it says all the nations, all the peoples, it's talking about everybody, all the human race. But it doesn't stop there. In verse 1, it says, Sing to the Lord all the earth, all of creation. Everything that God has made is joining in this beautiful song, building to this incredible crescendo. But it begs a question, because that's a beautiful world, but does it sound like the world we live in right now? How many of y'all drive, go to the city to work? Anybody? Yeah, you know, you know what's coming. How many of y'all drive going to work? Oh, you guys are sane. There's a handful going, yeah, it's me. I am, I confess, I'm one. You turn on 1010 winds to listen to the traffic, right? Is that the world you hear on the radio? That is not the world. The world you hear sounds something like this. Authorities released the names of three firefighters on Thursday who were killed when they were overrun by flames in Washington state. The tragedy Wednesday night cast a pall in Washington state and brought to 13 the number of firefighters killed across the West this year during one of the driest and most explosive wildfire seasons on record. Nearly 29,000 firefighters, 3,000 of them in Washington, are battling some 100 large blazes across the drought and heat-stricken West, including Idaho, Oregon, Montana, and California. Here's another one. With California facing one of the most severe droughts on record, Governor Brown declared a drought state of emergency and directed state officials to take all necessary actions to prepare for water shortages. A severe drought in California, now approaching four years long, has depleted snowpacks, rivers, and lakes, and groundwater use has soared to make up the shortfall. These groundwater aquifers typically cannot recharge, and once this fossil water is gone, it is gone forever, potentially changing how and where we can live and grow food, among other things. Some land in California's Central Valley is sinking as much, by as much as two inches per month as water is pumped out of the ground to serve the state during its historic drought. It doesn't sound like the trees are singing. It doesn't sound like the mountains are rejoicing. The other things we hear sound like this. Islamic State militants drove 600 Shia, Christian, and Yazidi male prisoners into the middle of the desert, lined them up on the edge of a ravine, and executed them at point-blank range, according to a report by Human Rights Watch released Thursday. The inmates taken from a local prison were forced to count themselves as they lined up before members of the jihadist militant group opened fire on them with machine guns. The world described in the Psalms doesn't sound like the world we're living in. Now, I realize we live in Bergen County, New Jersey, and it's fairly one of the more affluent areas in the world, and we can kind of insulate ourselves from this to a certain extent. I mean... Islamic State is not down the street in Teaneck, right? It's not just right around the corner off a of Galway place. Right? We're not feeling so much of a drought. We're, ground's not sinking two inches unless you built your home on a sinkhole, in which case, good luck. Uh, that's not us. Right? We get to see trees, and we get to see grass, and we get to hear dogs bark and, and things like this, and our kids' school is safe. But for most of the world, this is it. And when we turn on the radio, we can't tune it out. When you turn on the television, you can't tune it out. So how is it that we get 
from this reality that we live in to the dream world that we hear about in Psalm 96? What I'm going to suggest to you is that that question is the wrong place to start. And what we have to do is not ask first, how do we get there? The first thing we have to ask is where did we come from? The second thing is, where are we now? Third thing is, where are we going? And the fourth question is, how are we getting there? Where did we come from? Where are we now? Where are we going? And how did we get there? I say start with the first question because we tend to think from our snapshot in time, from our finite little lives, that the question is, how do I get from this broken reality with natural disasters and war and disease to this diseaseless, natural disasterless, totally harmonious seeming dream? But the actual truth is, we started with a dream and we moved to the broken reality. If you go back to the first book in Scripture, the book of Genesis you see that what exists there is the harmony that's sung of here. Nature and animals and humanity all living together. No predators, no prey, nobody hungry, food for the asking, no disease, no drought, no tornadoes, hurricanes, earthquakes, nothing. But then something happened. And what happened is embedded in here and we'll talk about it in a second. But we broke the relationship that cost us the dream. Because in that relationship, God says, I am the king. I appoint you humanity as my vice regents over this creation. Rule over it. Be fruitful. Multiply. Care for it. And what humanity said was, we can come up with a better plan. Because God said, the only thing you got to do is don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you'll be fine. So, of course, we did. Because we reckoned that there was a better way. Now, and we're cast out. Now, for people who are not Christians, if you're here, you say, well, this is kind of one of the reasons why I came because my friend invited me. But I don't really buy in because it sounds like a fable and it sounds unreal. Right? It doesn't sound like something that's true. But I want to give you... a. a something else that doesn't sound like it fits, and then show it how it ties in. I want to read to you quickly a couple of vignettes that I found. Uh, The first one is from an unnamed man who was a vice president of the Earl Radio Corporation who jumped to his death from the window of a Manhattan hotel during the great stock market crash of the 1920s. And the report goes on to say his suicide note read, quote, we are broke. Last April I was worth $100,000. Today I'm $24,000 in the red. Back then, sizable sums, millions of dollars. Bruce Ismay, trivia question. Anybody know who Bruce Ismay is? Come on, Bruce, you always do this. Nope, something jumped. You, you were good at this last time. Bruce Ismay, his family owned uh, the White Star Line, which built the Titanic. He was on the Titanic's maiden voyage, the ship that God himself could not sink, which sunk. And shortly after this happened, he lived for a long time after uh, the sinking of the Titanic. He was one of the few people who made it into one of the the lifeboats to get off of the ship. And one of the things he said was, any ambitions I had are entirely gone, and my life's work is ruined, he confided. I never wanted to see a ship again, and I love them so much. What an ending to my life. Perhaps I was too proud of my ships, and this is my punishment. Last one. 
Anybody remember a guy named Ben Johnson? Any sports fans? Anybody know Ben Johnson? You, say, you, you know who he is? Who is he? He's a track runner. He's a Canadian sprinter who it looked like won the gold medal in the 1988 Olympics, breaking his own world record in the process. But overnight sensation in Canada. They loved him, right? However, after the event, Johnson tested positive for the banned substance stenozolol, a steroid. He was disqualified, had his medals and records revoked. He never stood on the podium again. So what does it have to do with the Garden of Eden in Psalm 96? Here's what it is. What happened in the Garden of Eden is what happened to these people is what's happening to us now. And the cue is in verse 5. Actually, 4 and 5. The first thing it says is, God is to be feared above all gods, small g, for all the gods, small g, of the nations are idols. Idols. What happened in the garden? Humanity found an idol. I should have the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I should have that. It will make me like God. I will be better. We revoked God's reign and rebelled. We chose an idol to base our lives on, to follow instead of God, and we suffered the consequences. I'll submit to you that that is exactly what these gentlemen here did. Ben Johnson's idol was his physical abilities and specifically his status as a world-class sprinter second to none. And he was so intent on building his life on that that he went out and cheated and used illegal drugs to get it. The vice president of the corporation who leapt to his death during the, the, the stock market crash of the Great Depression had built his life on the idol of money. Because you see, when Adam and Eve did that, when these people do it, did it, when we do it, we trade. We say, I don't want the glory of God. I want an idol. Now, you heard Pastor Peter talk about it. I told you, it's all been done in everything that, that we did in the service. The word in Hebrew is kabod, and it literally means weight or weightiness, or as he put it really well, a, a substance-ness, if you will, right? It's substantial. And what God was saying was, I built you to build your life on me because it's the only thing that can hold the freight and the weight of a human life, the life of someone made in the image of the God of glory. If you trade me and my glory, my kabod, my weightiness for anything else, it can't hold your weight because you're made in my image. Athletes, financiers, Bruce Ismay, it was shipping. The list goes on, and that's what we do, and that's why we're still in the midst of a broken world. It can be beauty and looks, and the pressure for that is intense. It can be our physical abilities. It can be our wealth. It can be our career. It can be our mental abilities. It can be our families. It can be the schools you went to. It can be the zip code you live in, the possessions you have, the relationships you have. The list is near endless because we're so creative. But God is saying, don't do that. You are building a life that is not safe. I designed you to work in this dream place by basing your life on me because all those other things can be broken. All of them can be taken. Take relationships. If you find love, it's great. It's wonderful. You'll be starry-eyed. Forget your car keys in places you didn't know you left them. It'll be super. 
you lose that relationship, it'll hurt. But if it destroys you, if you think life is no longer worth living, if you think I'm never going to be happy again, you just exchanged the glory of God for an idol. And you just found it can be taken. And God is saying, I didn't build you that way. I don't want you that way. To be in this dream of Psalm 96, you've got to break away from the idolatry. I'm the only one with the kabod that can hold your life. That's where we came from. That's where we are. And where we're going is here in Psalm 96. Now, the big question is, how do we get there? How do we get to this healed whole world, more than healed and whole? It's exponentially happier and rejoicing more than we are. How do we get there? The passage is full of it. The first thing it says is ascribe. Ascribe and declare. One, ascribe to the Lord that his is the glory that we need to build our life on, that only he can handle the freight and the weight of a human life, a human soul. The second thing, say among the nations, verse 10, the Lord reigns. We have to give him authority as the king over our lives. We have to give it back. When we got expelled from the garden, we rebelled and made ourselves king. He said, the vice regent is not regent for a very good reason. You can't do it. And you look at the challenges that we have, and you can see why. The answers we have to the sin and the brokenness, the brokenness of the world that our sin brought are themselves causing more brokenness. You heard California's draining aquifers. They can't fill. Our answers aren't answers. Only his are. We have to say, you reign. And the first place you reign is in my heart. You are the creator. Verse 7. I'm sorry, excuse me, verse 5. But the Lord made the heavens. The idols compete for our hearts, but the Lord made the heavens. He is our creator. He's a creator of all things. He is the king and he rules. We have to ascribe to him his glory. Now, here's another thing that's really neat and sounds really kind of too specific. You know one of the ways, one of the best ways he tells us to do it, he makes it a command in here three times in the first two verses? Sing. Sing. He doesn't say, it would be good if you sang to the Lord a new song. He said, sing to the Lord a new song. He didn't even leave any room for doubt. Now, for those of you that are musically challenged, you're like, I don't know, I don't think he wants to hear it. That's okay, there's another passage that says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. And I've been there with a lot of people, you're cool. He's there, right? You're all right. But sing. Why singing? Number of ways I can approach this. The list could go on. I remember when John was doing, uh, we're doing worship this morning. We did uh, It Is Well, the new version. He says, before you guys want to throw something at me, the standard chorus is still there. Why? The people are kind of particular about their music, right? I could, if I asked you, most of you, What's your favorite scripture verse? A fair number of you, I bet, could say something. Could have one, or at least think of a verse. If I asked you the points of your favorite sermon, and I indict myself on this, that list is going to be a lot smaller. If I asked you 
to sing me the first verse of your favorite song, I'll guarantee you everybody in this house can do it. Even if they say my voice isn't good, they know one, right? Why? Because when you sing, singing expresses things in a way that mere words don't. Yes, you need to state that he is your king. Yes, you need to proclaim that he is the creator of the earth, that his glory is the glory, that he is the only one upon which I can base my life. You must state that. But when you sing it, it brings your body and your mind and your heart and your soul and just beautiful expression. That's why we sing about love, because nothing else will do. That's why 90% of the contemporary songs that are out there are about love, because it's so wonderful. Mere words just don't get it. There comes a point where you have to sing. And it's not just saying, singing anything. What you sing is important. Remember those vignettes I read to you? There's one more. Briefly, if I can find it. Here it is. Anybody remember where, who Kurt Cobain is? Was? Anybody remember? Who was he? What? He was a singer. Yeah, he was the lead singer of the, uh, the rock group Nirvana. He took his own life. And in the note that he left, he said this, I haven't felt the excitement of listening to as well as creating music along with reading and writing for too many years now. I haven't felt the excitement of listening to as well as creating music along with reading and writing for too many years now. It's not just singing. It's what you sing, because for him, singing became the idol. He came from a broken home. He wrestled with the issues and what he perceived to be the stigmas of it, and his way out was music, and that's what gave him his joy, and that's what gave him his passion, and that's what gave him his identity. And all of a sudden, he wakes up. He says, but it's not answering the mail anymore. It's not doing it, because he was singing. But what you sing about is critical when you sing about the Lord, when you sing all the songs, because every single song was talking about this that we sang today, right? You are giving the Lord your all. You are saying, here's my heart, here's my mind, here's my soul. Take it. Reign in me as my king. Rule over me. Let me be the first part of the transformed creation that's coming in Psalm 96. Sing, but sing to the Lord. The other thing it says is, sing about salvation. And that might be one of the two most important parts here. And here's why. We're part of the broken world. And what God says is, when you come to me, when you take Christ as Savior, the way I saved you was I paid the price. And if you come to me and you take my gift and you proclaim me your savior, if you look at me and say, you live the life I want to live, but I can't. You died the death that I should die for my sin that broke the world and is breaking it today. If you come to him and say, you defeated the sin that I can't fight that's in me. You are my savior and my king. I worship you and you alone. You become the next part of the redeemed, restored creation of Psalm 96. And then he says, it doesn't stop here because you get to participate in the redeeming of it through your proclaiming and your ascribing and your singing and your worship. Singing to the nations about, I found what I can base my life on and it will never, ever break and I guarantee it. 
because he loves me so much to ensure it would happen. He nailed himself to a cross. He nailed my sin with him and he died there and he rose and he lives and he's mine and I'm his. And that's why this curious part in the end happens where you see the psalm crescendo to all the earth singing and joy and rejoicing. And why? Because he's coming in judgment. And you're like, joy, judgment. Not getting it. Don't have anything in common besides the fact they start with the letter J. Right? Unless you know him as Savior. Because the last verse says, He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. And when you proclaim Christ as Savior and you say, I can't change myself to be like this. I've got to trust in you. Change me. He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins. More than that, he comes and to judge in righteousness, and he looks at us, and he sees the righteousness of the Christ who saves us, and he hears the voice, the Father hears the voice, saying, the Son saying, that one's redeemed. Remember we sang it, redeemed your sinner. That's who I am. He's redeemed. She's redeemed. Your life is paid for. My life is paid for. There is no judgment on this one. That's why you rejoice, because if we all kneel at the foot of the cross... We're all redeemed and righteous before the throne of the Lamb. And that leaves us with the final question. This psalm ends in a joy that is beyond the, oh, that's nice. You know, it's a song that's beyond, oh, my foot's moving. That's cool. You've got to think riotous. You've got to think unrestrained. You've got to think Mets fans in the cheap seats painted orange and blue screaming at the top of the lung because for once they're in the the lead in their division, right? They're dancing and they're screaming and they're jumping up and down on concrete stands so much that the cameras are shaking and that's the joy when you walked in here. Was that what quickened your step? Was that what preoccupied your mind? Has that brought an unthinking smile to your face? Or when you came in here, were you preoccupied by, tomorrow's Monday, got to fight the traffic going in the city, I got a list of tasks that are longer than the hours in the day to do it, and I got to get them done, and I don't know if I have the wherewithal to do it. Were you matching your abilities to the task list and the time? Were you worried about that or were you literally skipping for joy because he comes this song has been sung before many times the first time it was sung was in ancient israel you'll find it in first chronicles 16 word for word almost the entire psalm is sung by david as he leads the ark into Jerusalem and he is dancing so wildly his clothes are coming off and he's dancing in his underwear and you want to know what? He doesn't care because he's so joyful. He doesn't care what anybody thinks. And in that story of God's salvation of his people, of God bringing his ark in and planting his banner and his throne smack in the heart of the capital of the enemies of his people and proclaiming no place is beyond my reach. I claim this David looks forward and says, and he claims more. And he's coming 
And he came to save us. And he's coming again. And he's going to plant his banner and his throne smack in the heart of sin and death and darkness and say, the victory I won is now culminated. You're done. And he's going to look around and say, who's dancing with me? You going to be singing and dancing? I hope so. Let's pray. God, cleanse the idols of our hearts. Create in us clean hearts. Renew in us right spirits. Transform us by the renewing of our minds. Come, Holy Spirit. God, we look at this world and it's so much greater. It's not, I'm going to avoid punishment. It's, I'm going to know an ecstasy that knows no bounds. And we can feel it now. We can experience it now. We can live it now. If we will but sing unto you a new song of your new mercies every day. We will but sing of him, Christ Jesus, in whom all the fullness, the kabod of God dwells. Come, Holy Spirit, now, this hour, and fill us with a joy that can never be darkened, never be diminished, never be taken. For our Savior lives, and our Savior reigns, and our Savior is coming again. And all God's people said, Amen.